Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, Crosspoint, and welcome here. It is so good to have you joining us today from wherever you are. You know, whether you are wearing pajamas right now or not, we're just glad that you are joining us right now. Uh, Now, we are in week three of our Travel Light series. And the irony of that title does not escape me because most of you are not traveling outside of your homes at all right now. Uh, But we are continuing to metaphorically travel through our year and through our lives. And we might be carrying some things with us. Maybe we're holding on to heavy burdens, allowing relationships, regret, financial pressures, and things outside of our control to weigh us down. Instead, We want to invite you to let go of those burdens, relinquish them to Christ, and travel light. Now, you've already heard from Pastor Micah and Pastor Rob in this series as we talked about letting go of stuff and letting go of distractions, and today we'll be talking about letting go of bitterness. Before we get into that, though, you may have noticed something a little bit out of the ordinary up here on stage with me. See, some of our kids and students, they should recognize this uh, because our mystery box has played an integral role in many of our Sunday morning gatherings uh, in our kids' ministry. So the way that it works is there is something inside this box that's going to help me tell the message a little bit later on. And I want you to try and guess what it is. Now, normally, I would ask you to call out your answers, but that's not really going to work today. So instead, I want you to text your guesses in. The number is right up there, 587-415-1554. So make sure that you're actually texting me something, texting me a guess, because if no one does, I'm going to be standing up here looking really awkward on my own. So please text something in what you think is in this mystery box. Now, usually I would give it a bit of a shake uh, to let you hear maybe what's inside, but if I shake it today, something inside of it may break. So I'm not gonna do that. That can be your clue instead. So make sure you text that number, 587-415-1554. Okay, so we have someone who thinks it's Christmas cookies. That would be really nice. Uh, Someone has guessed a wolverine, or maybe a puppy, a very sleepy puppy. Uh, What else do we have here? Uh, If my friend Max is joining us right now, uh, his guess is usually cheese. So Max, don't feel like you need to text me. I already know that your guess is cheese. Uh, We have some good ones coming in here. Uh, Cheese. Someone just sent me cheese. Yeah, maybe that's Max. I don't know. Um, Another thing I was thinking uh, is throughout this message, feel free to uh, send me an emoji 
uh, because I really have no way of knowing, say, if my jokes are landing with you because I can't see you. So send me a mo an emoji. Let me know how you're feeling. Um, oh, wow. Someone says fragile cheese, whatever that means. Maybe an egg or shoes, China. I don't know if that's the country or the, the, the glass thing. Toilet paper, glass, donuts. Wow. Thank you for all of your guesses, everyone. Those are some really fabulous guesses, but I'm actually going to set the mystery box aside for now, and we'll come back to it later. So I realized that I haven't actually introduced myself yet, so I'll, I'll do that now. My name is Delaney, and if you couldn't tell from the mystery box, I am the children's pastor here at Crosspoint. I've actually been here now for three and a half years, which is, wow, longer than I thought. Um, <laughs> I just finished my Bachelor of Theology from Vanguard back in April. And a fun fact that you might not know about me is in my lifetime, I have lived with 24 different people, which is kind of a lot, especially since I'm not even 24 years old. And there are definitely stories that come from having so many roommates. You know, some really good stories, some not so good stories. You know, some of these roommates have been a little bit harder to love than others, but I have really loved all of them. In my first year at Vanguard, I lived in what was affectionately known as the mansion, which was basically this giant house where I lived with eight other girls, which was a lot of people and a lot of hormones all in one house. And you know, I wouldn't willingly go and do that again. Um, but I am thankful for the time that I spent living in that house. I built a lot of really great friendships with the other girls who were there. Uh, one of my roommates, she was very shy and introverted. She kept to herself most of the time. So I didn't really get to know her or build much of a relationship with her. But one thing that she was not shy about was eating my food. See, I remember this one day where I made a loaf of banana bread. And I told this roommate, feel free to have a slice of it. Uh, and then I discovered later that her version of a slice was about half the loaf of the bread. And you know, I was a little bit disappointed by that because I had been hoping to eat it myself and share it with some other people. But you know, it might have just been a bit of a miscommunication. So no big deal, no worries. Then. Sometime later, I went to bake some chocolate chip cookies. Uh, and I went to go get the chocolate chips, and the bag was just about empty. Which was weird, given that I hadn't really used those chocolate chips for anything. But, you know, I kind of forgot about it. I just went and bought more chocolate chips until uh, this roommate moved out earlier than the rest of us. And so I was asked to do a deep clean of her room. And so I pulled her bed away from the wall and I discovered the remnants of my missing chocolate chips. So, you know, I was kind of ticked off about that. I was a little bit upset. But the one that gets me the most is the toilet paper. See, there were three of us who shared a bathroom, and the typical roommate thing for you to do uh, is to take turns buying the toilet paper. Makes sense, right? Well, this one roommate, she just never did. She never bought any. And she also tended to use like two to three times more toilet paper than the rest of us, which is totally fine. You know, whatever your bathroom habits are, 
I'm cool with that. I just kind of wanted her to contribute to buying the toilet paper. But I was really non-confrontational back in first year, so I just didn't say anything about it. I just left it. Uh, but to this day, as you can probably tell, it still bothers me. You know, I don't want to sound dramatic or anything, but I would say that this ex-roommate of mine is in debt to me. You know, she owes me half a loaf of banana bread, half a bag of chocolate chips, and half a year's worth of toilet paper. And I don't know where she is now. I haven't talked to her in about four years, so there is no way that she can ever repay her debt or settle her accounts with me, which means that I'm probably just going to keep being bitter about it. And I don't usually consider myself a bitter person. You know, I have friends who are bitter, but I don't think I'm like that most of the time. Actually, you're probably the same. See, it's a lot easier for us to see bitterness in other people. It's hard for us to accept that this is a sin in our own lives. But I'm challenging you today to be honest with yourself about the feelings of bitterness that may have crept into your life. Someone recently shared a definition of bitterness with me. And it was one of those things that made me say, oof. It comes from the book Fervent by Priscilla Shire, and it describes bitterness like this. Irritations that have simmered inside you long enough until they've turned into intolerable dislikes. Oof. Now, I wouldn't say that I have feelings of intolerable dislike towards this roommate, but I'm certainly guilty of letting irritations simmer. And you know, not just with her. I could write up lists of what other people have done to hurt and offend me. I know exactly what others owe me. Every single offense contributes to the debt that they're in, and I'm holding on to those debts. Maybe you are too. The reality, though, is that bitterness is ugly. Bitterness weighs us down. Bitterness holds us back from living the life that God has called us to. So, how do we let go of it? And I'm sure you won't be surprised when I say that Jesus tells us how. You can pull out your Bibles now and turn with me to Matthew 18, verse 21. We're going to read all the way through to verse 35 together. So that's Matthew 18, verse 21. It'll be up on the screen for you to follow along with as well. So, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold 
to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you have given it to us today to learn from, to understand you more. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you, that you would open our ears to hear you, open our minds to understand, and open our hearts to receive that the, the truth that you have for us today. Amen. Now, before we get into the story, I think we need to consider the context of where this passage appears in Scripture. See, Jesus is in a house in Capernaum right now. And right before he shares this story of the unforgiving servant, Jesus tells his disciples what to do if their brother or sister sins against them. He outlines what confrontation should look like, who should be involved, and ultimately the end goal, which is reconciliation. Jesus doesn't want us to live in dispute with each other. And sometimes the relationship isn't going to experience reparation or reconciliation, but that's what you should be striving for. So Jesus has just said all this, and then our dear friend Peter comes in. And then he asks and also answers his own question, which leads me to believe that he's really just looking for a pat on the back from Jesus. You know, the rabbis in that day had agreed that it would be appropriate for you to forgive someone up to three times. You know, three strikes and you're out kind of deal. So Peter, with his big and his generous heart, he decides to do better. He takes their three, then doubles it, and adds one to make it a holy number. Uh, so now your brother or sister has seven chances before you cut them out of your life. And you know, there are probably a few people in the room who are nodding their heads. They're pretty impressed, and they think Jesus is going to be impressed too, that Jesus is going to commend Peter for what he has said, for his big and his generous heart. But as per usual, Jesus takes everything that they know, everything that they think they know, and flips it upside down. 
In some translations, Jesus tells Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. And then there are other translations where Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times 70, which for those of us who can't do that math in our head, that's 490 times. But it doesn't actually matter what number Jesus said to his disciples, because the point remains the same. Jesus has just told us that there is no limit to the number of times you forgive someone. You aren't keeping score. There's no tally. When you reach offense number 78 or 491, you don't suddenly ditch that person and start looking for better friends. And because Jesus knows how hard it can be for us to understand a new perspective, a new way of living, he tells this parable to get his point across. And now, the moment that I'm sure everyone has been waiting for, the reveal of the mystery box. We have a jar full of gold coins. See, Jesus says that the servant in the story owes the king 10,000 gold coins, or 10,000 talents. So I want you to imagine at least 20 more of these jars all lined up here on stage, and that'll get you close to 10,000. But the crazy thing about it is that each one of these coins is worth 20 years of work. 20 years of work to get one coin, and this guy owes 10,000 of them. So my question now is what the heck did he do to rack up all this debt? You know, he had to have lived the most extravagant life. Think caviar for breakfast every day. You know, he probably bathed in a tub of wine every day. I'm sure he wore clothes that were woven from gold thread. His house must have had a room with a pool in all of them. He, this guy knew how to live in luxury. Until, of course, the king decides that he wants those millions and millions of dollars back in his bank account. And when the servant promises to pay it all back, they both know that that is never going to happen. It would literally take him 200,000 years. So when the king orders that this guy and his wife and his children and all that he has be sold, that's what we would consider fair in this situation. See, I don't know about you, but I like to see people get what they deserve. You know, we especially feel like this when we're watching movies. How many times have you been watching a movie and you get to the end and the villain is defeated and you feel this sense of relief or maybe joy or contentment? Take Beauty and the Beast, for example. All throughout the movie, you despise Gaston. He's arrogant, selfish, entitled, narrow-minded. He exudes toxic masculinity the entire time. So at the end, when you watch him fall to his death, you rejoice a little inside because he got the ending that he deserved. We want justice to happen. We want people to get what's coming to them. But in this parable, 
Instead of ensuring justice, the king has pity. Now for us, pity is when we're scrolling through Facebook and we come across a sad story or a picture of an abandoned puppy. So maybe we donate a few dollars to our local animal shelter. We feel bad and we might do a little something to help, but that's kind of where pity ends. But the original Greek word used here for pity is a very long one, and you can ask Rob later how to pronounce it, but it literally translates to being filled with compassion. This word is talking about an emotion which moves a man to the very depth of his being. And with the exception of three parables, this word is only ever used to describe Jesus in the New Testament. So when we read that the king has pity on the servants, we could instead say that he is filled with divine compassion. And it would have been compassionate of the king to postpone the due date for this payment. We would have called him gracious if he had reduced the debt that this man owed. You know, just pay me back some of the talent, not the whole thing. But the compassion that the king has for this man is on an astronomically different level. He cancels the entire debt. And what Jesus wants us to understand here is that we are the servants who owe God a colossal debt. Every sin that we commit is another gold coin in the jar. And our jars get larger and larger every day. Now, the fair thing would be for God to demand payment. But even if we tried really hard and spent thousands of years trying to pay it back, we would always be carrying this enormous debt with us. He allows our insurmountable debt to be paid by the blood of Christ. This is how God shows us immense compassion. And it's not really fair by our definition of fairness. But I, for one, am glad that God has decided not to give us what we actually deserve. That truth, of course, is powerful and important. But it's not actually the main point of the parable. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but I imagine that that servant, after his dramatic encounter with the king, he runs home and tells his wife this incredible news, that this debt has been canceled, that they are free of it. And so, of course, they want to celebrate. And the only way that this couple knows how to celebrate is by throwing a big old party. You know, I'm thinking endless champagne, a live band, fireworks at the end. This thing is going to be massive and exciting, but even though their debt has been canceled, they don't have any savings, so there's no way for them to pay for this party. Until the dude remembers, wait a minute, I once loaned a couple of dollars to my neighbor down the street, and if I could just get that money back, then we could have this party. So this guy goes and he hunts down his neighbor and demands the money. We read that the second servant owes the first servant 100 silver coins, or 100 denarii, 
and a denarius was worth about one day's wages. So his debt probably amounted to a few thousand dollars. So the first guy had about 20 of these jars, and the second one didn't even owe a full coin. But a few thousand dollars, you know, that's still a significant amount of money, but it's certainly a debt that could have been paid back. But when the second servant makes the exact same promise that if you are patient, I will pay you back, the response is entirely different. And this is the point in the story where I think Jesus shows us a picture of bitterness. Because if I were that first servant, and I really wanted my money back, I would have told this guy that he better work every available overtime shift until I had all of those silver coins back in my pocket. But by being thrown into jail, this dude can't make any money. He's not going to earn any silver coins that he can then use to pay back his debt. So I can't help but wonder if the first servant actually wants his money back or if he just delights in the knowledge that someone else is in debt to him. You know, by doing this, he gets to hold on to a sense of control. Maybe it feels good to know that his neighbor is suffering in jail. Isn't he getting what he deserves for not paying back his debt sooner? This first guy has decided that holding on to this debt is much more satisfying than letting it go. I wonder if you and I do the same today. Let's consider my roommate again. She ate my banana bread, stole my chocolate chips, used up all my toilet paper. For every wrong thing that she did, her debt increased. And every time I look at this, this jar, whenever I think about this person, I am reminded of how much she owes me, how much she will never be able to pay back. I am the only one who will ever be able to cancel this debt but it kind of feels good to know that I can hold it against her. There's a part of me that doesn't want to let it go. Now, the reality is that everyone in your life has a jar. You know, maybe it's the coworker who never does their dishes. I'm guilty of that sometimes, actually. Um, it could be a parent who doesn't express their love for you. Maybe it's that one friend who never shows up when you need them to, who ignores you until it's convenient for them. It could be a spouse who consistently puts you on the bottom of their list of priorities. You know, someone who's taken advantage of you, done unthinkable things hurt you in ways you would have never thought possible. You know, it's true that bitterness can be caused by a buildup of small irritations, but it also comes from those big offenses that continue to sit heavy on your heart. Now, some people's jars 
will be more full than others. Some of those coins inside are going to carry a greater weight than some of the other ones. Some of these jars, they might carry a debt that's been accumulating for years, while others have coins that were added to them yesterday. How does it feel to look at them all and know just how much you are owed? Which of these jars do you want to hold on to, to hold against that person? Which of these are so full that you are stumbling under the weight of their hurt? Now, the real problem with these jars is that you're the only one who knows they're there. My roommate, she doesn't know that she's in debt to me. She's not aware that she owes me anything. And even if she did, would she care? And I don't say that because she's a bad person by any means, but because my bitterness is not her burden to bear. When you're the one who's bitter, you're the one who hurts because of it. Even if you think you want to hold on to the debt, keeping this person in a metaphorical prison, you're the one who stumbles under the weight of a grudge, smoldering with hot anger until you're unpleasant to be around because your frustration makes you negative and cynical. I don't know about you, but I don't want to become known as the bitter friend. And the remedy for bitterness is simple, but it's not easy. If we want to let go of bitterness, we have to hold on to forgiveness. And Jesus gives us a really good reason why we should forgive others. Because he has forgiven us. Jesus uses this parable to show us that the debt that others owe you is almost nothing compared to the debt that you owe God. That 10,000 talents would have been an unimaginable amount for the disciples to even conceive of. The wages of our sin is death, and Jesus is saying that our sin comes at a cost that is literally impossible to repay. And yet, in spite of this, God has forgiven us. And he will never ask you to forgive someone any more than what you have already been forgiven by him. If that king could cancel a debt of 10,000 gold coins, we ought to be able to cancel a debt of 100 silver ones. See, at the end of the parable, the servant is handed over to the jailers to be tortured. Not only has he been thrown into prison, he is experiencing the ultimate punishment for his unforgiveness. And then Jesus ends with this ominous warning that this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There are some serious consequences when you choose to live in bitterness and unforgiveness. You know, I might get a little bit of satisfaction from keeping my roommate in her prison of debt, but I definitely care a whole lot more 
about receiving eternal forgiveness from my Heavenly Father. Now, if this parable weren't enough to convince you, we see the same idea repeated again and again all throughout Scripture. Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And in Matthew 6, right after Jesus teaches his disciples what we know today as the Lord's Prayer, he says, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, we get it. Forgiveness is important. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. But how do I go about actually doing it? How can I forgive those who have hurt me so deeply? It's important to remember first what forgiveness is not. By forgiving someone, you are not wiping away their actions and letting them off the hook. You don't ignore the offense or rationalize it to suddenly make it seem okay. Instead, forgiveness is about making a choice to cancel the debt that this person owes you. And it's not going to be a one-and-done kind of thing, especially if this person has hurt you deeply. You know, you might cancel the debt and then see it reappear again in that jar tomorrow. A couple of years ago, there was an individual in my life who hurt me so deeply that it took nearly six months of me choosing to forgive them daily before I could look at this person without my blood starting to boil. And for some of you, it's going to take even longer than that. But just because the process will be long and challenging, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I want to get really practical here as we close, because forgiveness might be simple, but it really isn't easy. My first suggestion for you is to pray for that person that you are trying to forgive. Don't pray curses over them, you know, that they would get what they deserve or that their offspring would suffer because of their iniquities. Instead, pray blessings over them. Pray that their life would be filled with joy and peace, that they would experience God's presence in their lives, that God's favor would be upon them. I'll be honest, this is a really hard thing to do at first. But in my experience, as you continue to pray, you start to feel this weight being lifted off of you. And the freedom that you experience as that burden begins to disappear is unlike anything else. Of course, prayer is a good place to start, but it's not where it ends. Let's consider Paul's letters again. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And from Colossians 3. 
Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How can you show kindness and compassion to the person whose debt you've canceled? Maybe it means nodding at them when you pass them in the hall at work or school. You could send them an encouraging text or schedule a Zoom call to see how they're doing. You can choose not to gossip about them or the things that they've done when the opportunity arises. Be generous towards them. Show concern. Care for them. Now, of course, for many of you, it won't be possible to extend this kindness or compassion to those you've forgiven. And for others, even if you do extend it, it might not be well received. What matters, though, is your willingness to do it, to be obedient to God. And your willingness will be proof that the forgiveness you claim has roots which run deeper than the roots of your resentment. This is when you'll know that you have let go of bitterness and are clinging to forgiveness instead. Today, I'm going to invite you to respond to this message by participating with me in something called imaginative prayer. Now, this book is a family devotional written by a, a guy named Jared Patrick Boyd. So it's a year-long devotional that uses our imaginations to help our spiritual formation. This devotional helps families to grow in relationship with God together. Now, Boyd's target audience is kids, and you'll notice that in the vocabulary that he uses, but I don't want to let that stop you from connecting with God in a deeply intimate and personal way today. Now, I also encourage you to invite your kids into the room with you if they aren't already there, because this is something that I know can be meaningful for all of us. So I'm going to read this imaginative prayer. I'll invite you to close your eyes and imagine along with me. So close your eyes now, and let's take a few deep breaths together. God, I pray that you will release our imagination and help us to hear you speak to us during this time together. We open our hands to you. We open our ears to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Take a few moments and think about some of the people in your life. Your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters, your friends, your teachers at school, kids on the playground. Is there anyone you know that has sinned against you? Has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever been mean to you? or spoken harshly to you? Take a moment to ask Jesus 
to bring someone to mind who you perhaps need to forgive. Say to Jesus, Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone in my life I am bitter against? Ask Jesus, is there anyone who you want me to forgive right now? Try to remember what it is that was hurtful to you. Perhaps someone called you a name. Maybe mom or dad were impatient with you. Maybe your brother or sister took something out of your room. Maybe someone said something mean to you. Is someone coming to mind? Imagine going to find that person. Imagine you have to look for that person, but you find them. Where do you find them? Are they at your house, at school, at the playground, in the classroom? Imagine that the person who is coming to mind is standing before you. Imagine this person standing right in front of you. You reach into your pocket and pull out a small piece of paper. And written on that paper is the thing this person has done to you, the thing you need to forgive. Reach into your pocket and pull out the paper. What is written on the paper? Imagine reading this paper out loud in front of the person who has hurt you or sinned against you. Tell them now how they have hurt you. Imagine you are looking the person in the eye Imagine looking right at them and you say, I forgive you for this. Say it again to them. I forgive you. Imagine giving that person a hug and smiling at them. Imagine now that the paper you were holding, the one that you took out of your pocket, has disappeared. Imagine now that you invite this person to come and play with you. There's a story that we hear from the Bible about forgiveness. Jesus is teaching his followers about forgiveness and says, if your brother or sister or friend sins, if they do something wrong toward you or toward someone else, go directly to them and tell them. Don't talk to others about that person's sin. Go directly to them. After the teaching about forgiveness, one of Jesus' followers, Peter, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus goes on to tell a story about forgiveness, and he says this. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, 
Give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asks for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. Imagine now that the person is still standing in front of you, and your pockets are now filled with pieces of paper. All of these pieces of paper are ways this person has sinned against you. Imagine taking each paper, reading it out loud to the person, and saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Each time you forgive this person, a piece of paper disappears. Forgiveness means we can have peace with God. Forgiveness means God welcomes anyone. Forgiveness means God takes away our sins. Forgiveness means we can forgive the sins of others. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.